For this season of the What Is Love pod, I decided to step outside of my immediate friend group. I called people I may never meet in person. Hello, hello. I bounced around the city and ended up interviewing people on their own couches. Okay. Are you ready? No, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I asked them about how they feel about love. Like, it is, it is an invisible tide just kind of dragging and carrying you, freewheeling the whole way. How it grounds us as humans. Proof that you're alive and that you're feeling things and that there is something so profound that could, like, knock you off your feet. How different people structure their relationships. I am very poly. I want to date other people. She introduced me to the concept of non-monogamy. And how we feel things differently. I have found I just have like a very different relationship with jealousy and what it means to me. I asked them about how where they grew up affected them. I knew it was an option to like come in because I grew up in the South and that's just very much taboo. How they met their person. Uh, she was in the audience while I was performing and she likes to joke with everyone that she's my number one fan girl. How they recognized love innately. I don't know how I was sure it was, I, I just knew it. With their words about their past, their feelings, their needs, and the different ways they all experience this human instinct to love, I may be finally coming closer to answering the question, what is love? In order to protect everyone's privacy, we have blurbed over all names in this episode. Are you ready? Yeah, I was going to say, I accidentally gave myself a Dirty Sanchez with the cat treat the other day. What's a Dirty Sanchez? Oh, that. I feel like I've heard this, but it's like... It's a horrible, horrible thing where you stick your finger in somebody's butt and then you take the poop slime and give them a mustache. No! And he's like, squeeze them out into her dish. And then Ew. I like was about to sneeze and it just went like this. And I didn't realize there was like a line of it on my finger. <laughs> and I screamed. And I was like, what's wrong? And you're like, I hurt the cat stuff on my finger. And I was like, oh, you gave yourself a dirty sandwich. <laughs> of course you wouldn't say that. So. <laughs> oh. Anyway. All right. Uh, Mike to your face. You know the drill. Been there, done that. Yep. You ready? I'm ready. You are the friend that loves love. You and your partner had gotten married recently. Can you describe what married life is like for you and your partner? Well, the first year, we've been married just over a year now. We got married in October, and we just had our anniversary, obviously, in October. And um, the first year was really strange because um, my sister died two weeks after my wedding, and our wedding, and there's really no playbook for surviving grief like that in general, but certainly not in the first year of a marriage. And so when we were reflecting, you know, we went to the woods for our anniversary for the weekend and we were reflecting and it was just kind of marveling at the fact that it didn't really feel like a first year mm-hmm. of marriage. It didn't feel like we were newlyweds at all. It felt like we had survived something together. So you when you were thinking about your first year of marriage, this is not how you thought it would be. Oh, I don't think anybody thinks that, you know, two weeks after your marriage, you're going to be plunged into like a, a devastating 
tragedy that completely emotionally upends one of the two partners in the marriage. And how did your partner react? You did see this coming to some extent, right? Yeah, we, I mean, you know, my sister was really sick and she was on hospice, but we thought that there was a lot more time. Everything was indicating there was more time. And uh, she just declined very, very quickly. And so, you know, the timing was shocking because one day she was fine and then the next day she had gone into the death process, I guess. And if anyone's ever witnessed anybody die of quote-unquote natural causes, like it's a whole thing, you know, their breathing changes, there's different, there's a whole, there's stages to the dying process. And she entered that stage and it wasn't even you know, 30 hours later, she was gone. So it was startling in that regard. But I think the the true grief didn't really come until the shock wore off. And how long did that take? I would say probably three weeks to a month mm. um, of just, you know, recalibrating your brain. It's it's very difficult to describe to anybody who hasn't experienced it, but it's very surreal. I also lost my job not long after that, so I was unemployed and I ended up being unemployed for 10 months because getting a job is hard. Thankfully, my husband has um, a really good job and was, you know, still able to support us comfortably while I was not working, but I was also very much like in a, a liminal, non-functioning space for most of those 10 months. Do you think not having a job kind of gave you more room to grieve fully? Oh, absolutely. I was so grateful the day that I got laid off. I I was like, they thought that I was having a nervous breakdown because I was so happy to not have to work anymore because I was really very afraid is how I would describe myself. And I'm certain I wasn't putting in my best work at the time. But I also like, you know, after everyone left the office, would cry for like an hour before I could bring myself to get on the train and go home. So not having to do that anymore was really fantastic. <laughs> so you're, it sounds like your job really didn't give you any room to grieve while you were still working. They were really good about, you know, I took, they let me take off as much time as I wanted for the funeral and to help my family. But like, I think it's it's not the job, it's society expects us to just go back to being productive and producing and like, okay, you've had your time off, now you just go back. No one no one really makes room for grief and for death because I think it makes so many people uncomfortable. So it's almost like your two weeks are up, just go back to oh, Yeah, and I mean I think the official bereavement policy was like three days. Wow. You know, but they of course like didn't didn't give me a hard time about it which I I was very grateful for that to be able to be there to support my family but I think in in like in other societies and other cultures there's whole processes around grief and there's like periods of time and there's more community support and I fully blame capitalism for not allowing allowing us to to have that here so how did the love that you have with your partner and the way that your partner shows love kind of help you through that period I think it was love that allowed us to endure. I know that I wasn't particularly easy to be around for him. I mean, I don't think I was terrible either. You know, I was never unkind or cruel, but, you know, I would 
I was pretty emotionally volatile and, you know, something very small, I would be like a panic attack or just lead to like uncontrollable sobbing. And he'd kind of be like, Oh, what is happening? And, you know, he at times wasn't perfect either. Nobody is. And there were times when he couldn't be what I needed in the moment and, you know, would tell me so. And it's love that allows us to forgive each other for those things and to continue to be the love is the choice that we make. Do you think your love has changed after that happened? Um, I wouldn't say that it has changed. I would maybe say evolved Mm. a little bit because, you know, when you see a person at some of their lowest points, right? Like you, you choose to love that version of them as well. And sometimes like that can be what breaks um, a relationship, but that was not the case with us. I think he knew that we needed each other through that and also like the remarkable grace and kindness that he I'm gonna get misty-eyed here so forgive my wobbly voice but like the the grace and kindness he showed my family during this time you know when my sister passed away and we had to rush home and plan the funeral in the like the priest ended up like screwing up her whole funeral he uh he eulogized the wrong person uh which was Oh my God, it was so funny. And I really think that was her sense of humor too, because she had said one of the last things she told us was she didn't want us to be sad. And of course, like the church was packed because she was such a special person. And, uh, like people like our childhood pediatrician was there. <laughs> like our dental hygienist came. <laughs> like, and she, you know, these people were just mourning. They were, they were sobbing. And then the priest started eulogizing the wrong person, and it started confusing a lot of people out of their sadness. So I really think that was her. But also the priest uh, forgot to show up at the burial the next day, and uh, we didn't want to put her uh, ashes in unconsecrated ground. So my husband, and my, we were raised Catholics, and my mom did a big Catholic funeral. And my husband, who's Jewish, ended up saying uh, the mourner's kiddush over wow. the grave as we like put the flowers in and then put the first handfuls of dirt. So it was like my husband saying a Jewish prayer over this hole as like two public works guys in yellow vests dumped dirt inside. And, and I mean, that, that moment was so profound to me that he stepped in in his family that, you know, he hasn't been a part of very long and like filled, filled a role that that really helped soften the grief of everything that was happening. And so if I get frustrated with him at, you know, not being completely emotionally adept or having all the tools necessary to to deal with somebody who's going through complex grief. I just think back to that day and think about, you know, him saying that prayer for my family. That's really beautiful. And also he has raised the bar in ways that I can't. Oh, I know. Right. Like, like show it like he shows up. Yeah. I mean, that's that's showing up. Yeah. So how do you think the last year would have been without romantic love, without your partner? I don't know if I would have made it. And I don't mean that in like, you know, I would have offed myself. But I I don't think that the person I am, I don't know that I would have come through in the time period that I did. I don't know. I don't think I would have been able to keep my life together as much as I did, even though I was unemployed and 
wallowing for 10 months, you know, <laughs> like I would not have described myself as together during that period of time, but I think I would have been far more fractured if he weren't there kind of, you know, holding it together. It's kind of like when you need to, to glue a vase that breaks or something and you have to delicately kind of hold the pieces up until the glue sets. And I feel like my glue was setting. He's like truly your support system. Yeah. But you know, it, it tires him too. It's a lot for him as well. And there are times when he said, I can't beat this right now. And it's good that he could say that to you. Yeah. And cause you know, some people might just pretend like they can always take it. Yeah. But your communication, has that even gotten deeper since this? I think so. I think I've, I've never been good at expressing my needs because I'm afraid that somebody won't want me if I tell them that I need something from them. But I've gotten a lot better at telling him what I need because I understand he can't read my mind. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and that, you know, he, he gives me the foundation of trust enough so that when I say, I really need this from you right now, I'm not afraid that he's going to say, well, this is a bridge too far. So what would you tell yourself? We just looked it up. You were on in April. So a while ago, what would you, the now you tell yourself to the person you were on the first time you were on the podcast? Um, that's a really good question. I think I would, I would never tell myself it gets better because um, we just passed uh, a year without my sister and um, like the the sadness and the pain is still kind of ever present. I feel like it kind of emanates from me like like little waves like you know when there's a cartoon and somebody's stinky and the little waves come off of them. I feel like there's just like little sadness waves all the time. But that oh man, try not to cry again. That um the profundity of the grief that I'm experiencing is revealing to me how profound my love for my sister was and that the degree of grief that I'm experiencing is surprising me in a way that like and that like it's showing me how much I truly love my sister and in the present tense because I, I honestly don't believe that there are like people actually leave that I think our sentience persists in some way or, or the other but physically you know her her loss and the deep well of pain that it opened in my family I think that um I always had a very tense relationship with my sister we we were just like very opposite personalities and she she had a disability she had cerebral palsy she was quadriplegic but to me she was always just a person right like i it's so stupid to be like I don't see her disability it's like saying you don't see color because then it's like you know, saying you don't see the immense struggles that these people go through all the time. But she was just a person to me. And that person was like the di complete opposite from the person that I was. And uh, my mom used to say, if my sister hadn't been born paralyzed, that we probably would have paralyzed one or the other of us from getting into fights with each other from like, we would have probably come to fisticuffs more than once. So I always wondered if, if that tension between us was was because of a lack of love and you know now experiencing the depth of this grief it's it's showing me that it it's not the lack of love at all and that the love was deep and profound and and everlasting well if you don't care about someone there's nothing there so you right. obviously deeply cared about each other right exactly when you say opposites of each other what do you mean i mean she she's just like stubborn and hard-headed and 
I mean, maybe we're too much alike. I'm not sure. But, you know, we just disagreed on all kinds of things. We disagreed on music, on on clothes, on what color was the best color, you know, like <laughs> what ice cream is the best ice cream. And we'd always have to argue about it because we both had very argumentative personalities. But also when we joined forces, <laughs> and we were also very powerful. She used to tell people who would stare at her uh, when we would go out in our small town in her in her wheelchair and people would stare and sometimes they would try and like touch her and it's very strange like wow. yeah people feel like they have permission to touch disabled people it's very weird but she would always tell people that it was contagious <laughs> and then I would back her up you know <laughs> with that um and make up elaborate stories about how she caught it and and so on and so forth yeah it, it was just a real like sibling relationship and the the disability never stopped me from seeing who she truly was, and that was probably why we fought so much. You actually sound kind of alike. Probably. Probably. I think most people would say that we we were alike. But again, a lot of people also didn't see past her disability. Hmm. How's your idea of love changed since all of this has happened, just over time? I don't know that it has changed. I would say that I still, I still believe that love is a choice. I, we have to choose to love each other in these times, even if we don't always like each other. And I would say that that love is more than just those feelings that you feel at the beginning for somebody, that love is something that you put work into and that you grow and that will evolve. And love is choosing to love the, the future person that you don't know who they even are because you can't see what's going to happen in the future. You can't, you can't tell what tragedy or what wonderful things are going to happen that might cause a person to to change and like every little change you know is a little bit of an evolution and it happens bit by bit and I think love is choosing to love who that person is in the future as well as the person you're with right now this actually leads to the next question which is how do you think you and your partner like how your relationship will continue and how love will play into it I just think that we'll continue supporting and loving each other and showing up for each other in the dark times and celebrating each other in the good times and and being really proud of each other for for things big and small and just for the the people that we are and I, I think that especially when you've seen somebody in the darkest and you can still love them that I think that gives me tremendous hope for our future looking around in your life, are there ever couples that you look up to and actually would want to be in or no? Hmm. I mean, you know, are there hashtag relationship goals out there? I feel like I'm fulfilling my own relationship goal for myself. I mean, I, I have a lot of couple friends and I see them sharing the same struggles that, you know, my husband and I and any couple shares like putting things in the dishwasher versus a sink, you know, like stupid things that that couples bicker over. But no, I don't think so. I, I think that maybe there's elements of relationships that I want to incorporate into our relationship. But for the most part, I don't model my, my thoughts and, and goals about love and about romantic relationships off of other people's because there's so many specific small little components of a human being of a personality, of a, like a soul and a spirit that that goes into to being in a relationship that I don't think could ever fit in somebody else's mold. So it's almost like just take bits and pieces, but yours is yours. 
Yeah, like, you know, maybe there's like a tradition that a couple has. I'm like, oh, we should incorporate that. <laughs> or, you know, like, you know, like a, a, every Thursday is date night or something, you know, like things that we could always do to it. Like, it's work. You put in the work. And I see people who are effectively doing the work. And it's like, oh, look, this, we could try this thing for our work. But for the most part, I think I just, I want to feel content in in what I have. And I don't really look out to other people to do that. There's elements of other people's personalities that like, you know, people's bravery, people's like, you, for instance, have helped really get me like back out into the world in a time that I felt like I, I like after my sister died, I, I couldn't leave the house. Um, and I had, you know, previous to that had just kind of felt like I was tapped out of really participating in, in living in our urban environment. And so there's like, things about people that I admire as human beings that I try to like I wish I want to be more like that person so I'm going to take little steps to be more like that person but all in all yeah I just I just want my my own relationship to flourish and grow in its own way so I'm going to add one more question because the final question what is love you kind of already answered you still think it's a choice but so final question what would you tell someone who's going through something similar to this because grieving as a newlywed or grieving with your partners isn't easy. I would, I would just, you know, if, if someone's in a bad relationship going through this, I would say, take care of yourself first and foremost, or even if you're in a good relationship, remember to take care of yourself. Um, because when you do return to yourself from, from this darkness, from the shroud that, that grief, you know, clouds over you you know make sure that you can return to yourself and return to to being a good partner to the person who who's sticking by you and I will say that my husband and I decided like this is our redo year so we didn't take a honeymoon last year we didn't we didn't do anything we (laughs) we just got through so this year we're like we're, we're doing it all we're saying yes to stuff we're taking big trips we're doing fun things uh, we're giving ourselves permission to just really go out and live and celebrate being married to each other. So I would say also know that like if something something really sad and difficult happens and it takes you a long time to get through it. Just know that at the other side, if it'll be there for you on the other side. Yeah, because now you get you're you're taking the newly weds year now. Yeah, and that's really beautiful. Yeah, and we're really gonna enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to this year and to what it brings and to how we grow. And I do have a job now as well. And I have a a job that I really like uh, and a job that uh, is not heartbreaking like some of my other (laughs) previous previous jobs that I've worked in. So, you know, a stable job, good work-life balance, doing all the therapy, doing the grief support, trying to get my health back on track after kind of just being a lump for a year. So it'll be there for you. Just make sure that you're there for you too. If you have any questions about tonight's episode, please email me at the what is love podcast at gmail.com. And if you live in the New York area and would like to be interviewed for the podcast and are not a serial killer because I do record this in my living room, please also reach out. Thank you. <laughs>